Welcome to the Hunting Dog Public, where we talk about everything hunting dogs and more. I'm your host, Cody Moreland, and let's drop that tailgate. Today's word, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Timber Creek Dog Supply, our go-to for everything hunting dog related. Timber Creek has been in the dog supply business for 20 years and supports multiple tree and running dog organizations. Check them out at TimberCreekSupply.com or on Facebook at Timber Creek Dog Supply. We would also like to take this time to thank Mr. Jeff Island with the Ground Floor Landscape Supply for his support in the Hunting Dog Public Podcast. Thank you, Mr. Jeff. All right, guys, welcome to the Hunting Dog Public Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Moreland, and today we have Mr. Shane Simpson on the line. Mr. Shane, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful. I'm here to talk about... Some of these blood tracking dogs, or tracking dogs rather, does your dog track blood, or does it? How, how does that work? Let's let's uh, go going from there. Yeah, uh, she she can track blood. That makes it easier for her to track if there's blood. Uh, but she's tracking other odors that the deer puts off. Um, you know, in digital inner digital gland, and then um, supposedly there's other odors that injured deer releases that makes you know easier for them to track and and track that instead of other deer that are healthy. Just the same way a coyote finds your deer before you do. They they can track the same way. I got you. Mr. Shane, I, I should have asked where you was from. Can you tell us where you're from and a little about yourself before we get into this? Yeah, I, I live up here in Minnesota, uh, north metro of the Twin Cities, St. Paul and Minneapolis. Been here about 15 years now. I'm originally from South Carolina, a town called Rock Hill, which is just south of Charlotte, North Carolina, right across the border. And, uh, yeah, I don't know <laughs> what anybody would find interesting about me. I've been hunting all my life <laughs> and, yes, uh, and doing some tracking for the last, uh, this is my sixth season of tracking. Well, I found you on the YouTube. Mr. Shane has a big YouTube channel, a big channel to me. And uh, you do a lot of hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting, and also have tracking on there. So yeah. I reached out to Mr. Shane and we was wanting to talk about these tracking dogs and I guess, how did you get your start in the tracking dogs? Well, it's a long story, but I'll try to condense it. Um, I, I had a little bit of interest in it, but it was, was kind of like back in the brain, you know, kind of thing. And then I went on a, a media hunt down in Illinois, a turkey hunt one spring. And um, there was a guy that lived next to this outfitter that helped track wounded deer whenever the need arose. And he's... Um, a uh, pretty well-known tracker in the tracking world, I guess. And then uh, a lot of the celebrity hunters would use him because he's very good at what he does. He uh-huh. went. He goes by. He goes by the name of Tracker John, and I can't remember his last name. But we just called him Tracker John. Anyway, he was in camp, and he was telling all these uh, int- very interesting tracking stories. You know, and anybody that's tracked has at least one or two of these stories that'll keep you on the edge of your feet. But uh, it was it was so interesting to me, and I and I was like, yeah, I need to get me one of those. Anyway, I came back home and hunted that f- following fall, and was hunting with a buddy, and he shot a buck and hit it in the shoulder and didn't get much penetration. 
we reached out social media and looking for volunteers to help grid search the next morning because we couldn't locate that deer or any blood that evening. Next morning, no one showed up. <laughs> so yeah. we, had, we were stuck doing it ourselves and we didn't recover the deer, but I had a trail camera out and uh, he showed back up on camera uh, alive uh, a week or two later. So we knew he was, he survived, but it was, it was that instance, that whole relying on other people or hoping to rely on other people and, and they failed to, pull through for you and I was like yeah I'm gonna get me a dog and where I don't have to rely on others and you know then I can help people that because you always see it before up here before dogs became elite uh, before they were legalized to use dogs for tracking um you know you'd see somebody oh I got this blood I'm having trouble somebody helped track and you know pe people would go help look and you'd always the outcome was 90 percent of the time was always the same yeah we we searched well but we couldn't find it we searched for three hours never found it yeah or we searched yeah so that that was kind of the inspiration and, and I, I finally got me a dog and uh started training i got a little pup in the fall and i trained her through the winter and then the following fall was her she was a year old and she went on her first tracking season um so i guess do you have an idea of what year that was couple years ago uh, yeah it was like 2017 let's see 17 18 19 20, 20 22 yeah so 17 was our first year of tracking so i guess it would have been 2016 when i got her okay and what kind of dog was she she's a blue tick coonhound so, oh, so you still have her yeah yeah she's uh, my primary tracking dog she's um let's see she's going into her sixth season so she'll be oh, I may be wrong, <laughs> man. I'm getting old. I can't remember stuff. <laughs> she, I, she's going into her, yeah, her sixth season. She's six years old. She turned one her first season. Yeah, that's right. So she's okay. six years old now. All right. I, well, I'm going to ask a lot of questions that I already know the answers to, but I, they're already tough now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm I if I didn't ask the questions that everybody else wanted to know, you know, that wouldn't be no sense of me asking them. So that's right. Um. So she's a blue tick coonhound, and yep. I assume you just somebody was selling hunting dogs, and you decided that you want to try with her, or yeah. So um, how I ended up with her, I didn't have a particular breed in mind or per se. Um, I started doing a lot of research online on on tracking dogs and or deer tracking dogs in in general, and I, I stumbled upon the United Blood Trackers, which is a national organization, and they have a lot of good resources about tracking and uh a lot of these guys they use the smaller breed of dogs like the wire hair dotson and and teckles i think they call them i don't know a whole lot about the breed but they're they're very popular in europe and a lot of people up here in in the northern part of the country like those uh smaller breeds but the issue i had was when in minnesota and wisconsin we have a lot of wetlands and marshes and swamps and stuff where we might be going tracking deer yeah and I was like, I need a, I need a bigger breed than these little ones, not, and able to, in order to go through all that stuff. So I started looking for a, a larger breed, and, and naturally you think hounds of some sort because they got a nose, even though any dog can be trained for this. Yeah. So I went on Craigslist. I found somebody had a red bone. Um, agreed to meet up with him and get the dog from for him. He had a good price on it, and then he ghosted me, and then I could never get a hold of him again. So I assume somebody gave him more money for the dog and he just ignored me. So <laughs> yeah, that's the way it normally goes. Yeah. So then I found a Craigslist uh, listing for a guy that had a bunch of bear hounds. 
uh, he raises blue ticks for bear hunting in Wisconsin. You can run bears with hounds. And his story to me was that he had a lot of females that all, you know, had pups around the same time. And so and now he had too many pups on his hands and he was trying to, you know, get rid of some of them because of the expense. Yeah. And so he was selling them for pretty cheap and uh, met at a Walmart and my daughter picked one out of the litter and the rest is history. Nice. So that guy was hunting bears with him. Yeah, he was training them to hunt bears. And uh, I just wanted me a hound, and I didn't really care. And she's a pretty dog, too. Blue ticks are, are beautiful dogs. Are, and she, especially, I think, has a, a great coloration to her coat. They are. Uh, what's her name, Katie? Callie. Callie. She, yeah, my daughter at the time watched this little cartoon show called uh, Sheriff Callie the Cat. I have seen it. And, uh, more yeah, more than she, I care to see it, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch the show myself, but I, I knew she watched it. And so she named it after that, after a cat cartoon, basically. I got you. So I guess from the beginning, you probably got, I'd assume you got on that Facebook group and started trying to figure out how to train it. Is there anything in particular you've done to start working with it? Yes. Yeah, so um, there was two, there was two schools of thought or, or methods that, people use to train them and and i read up on both and one was using some blood and one using some you know some deer hooves and then the other was basically the other line of thinking was to just use deer hooves only because you want to provide a, a tougher track for the dog and you're not always going to have blood when you track in deer because you know intestines clogged a hole or or whatever happens and so i kind of agreed with that line of thinking and and so uh, in my early training, you know, the, what you want to do is start them off with something easy, like I did with her, a piece of beef liver, and I just, you know, something that they can eat, and it's food, food associated. Mm -hmm. And um, as soon as I saw that she was able to follow a line, that's the purpose of that. See if they, you can put them on lines, they find it, and see if they'll sniff their way to it. And beef liver, a lot of, a lot of odor, a lot of scent, and easy from the track. I'm like, okay, she's got that pretty good. So I moved to a deer hide and some deer hooves, just let her play with it in the house and get used to it. Um, and then I started creating little mock scent trails out in the yard, dragging the hooves and the hide. But you, uh, what I read, and I agree, um, you want to get away from those drags as soon as possible because it's too easy for the dog a lot of times. But you still want to kind of train them like, I want you to follow scent. I'm putting you right here. I'll point to the ground and, and give a command, like find it or hunt it or whatever you decide to use yes sir and so um as soon as she got that um i started just using a deer hoof and clamping it with some hose clamps to a uh, like a shovel handle or something a broken rake handle or just a pole and i would walk it you know 20 or 30 yards aging an hour bring her out there and let her track it and over time uh, the tracks got progressively harder um i would stretch them out longer three or four hundred yards a thousand yards and would age them longer six hours eight hours 12 hours 24 hours and just make them progressively harder and they're already hard as it is because you're using one deer hoof and a deer has four hooves and so yeah and they have and then and they have all the you know the body fur and, and hide on them so when they're running off in a real world track and they're leaving scent as their body brushes uh, vegetation so just one hoof is is about as hard as you can make it for them. You know, if they can 
find those training tracks, then they won't have a problem following deer. Yeah. Now, have you ever had a problem with there being more than one deer at that oh, location? Yeah, all the time. Um, and that's that's where the like the interdigital gland and the odor of a hurt deer. I'll just call it the odor of a hurt deer that they put off when they're shot. Um, because I can't think of the name of off the top of my head the, the as, you know the scientific names for everything. But um, she's able. The interdigital gland is individual for each deer, just like a, a fawn can follow its mother, yeah. or a buck can follow a certain doe. Uh, the dog once it locks onto a specific deer, even when it goes in between other deer, he or she can still follow it. Plus, the odor that the deer puts off when it's injured is different from healthy, you know, no uh, relaxed deer. And um, the difficult part sometimes comes in if there's multiple deer around when you shoot one and they, they all get scared and run off. Um, supposedly all of them, because they're frightened all of a sudden, put off that hurt or kind of alarm odor. But the healthy ones calm down, you know, and relax as soon as they get away from that whatever scared them. But the one that was shot keeps dumping that odor and runs away. So as soon as the dog can pick out, okay, this is the one that's hurt amongst the other ones and work it out, and then it, it locks on, then it stays on. Plus the individual gland helps her, her to, or the dog to figure that out, um, to figure out which deer to follow to or be able to stay on that deer. So, so do you still practice that method or do you do blood also or? No, I, I really haven't messed with blood in, in any of training. I, I maybe used it once just to, but it was so easy for her to track. I was like, yeah, that's too easy for her. And when she did her uh, uh, testing with the United Blood Trackers, they have a um, three levels of testing, UBT one, two, and three. Um, they'll use blood on those tests and the judges come out. We had a big UBT event up here this past summer and we had judges come out, lay mock tracks. We run our dogs on it and they, you know, pass or fail the test and they use like eight ounces of blood on that. So. I don't use it when I'm training her and I really don't spend a whole lot of time on training tracks anymore because my dog has figured out they're fake. Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll tell you how she's figured it out. So on a typical scenario, when I'm laying a training track, I go out and I lay my training track and I come back to the house and after the appropriate age time, I hook her up, take her out to the truck and we drive to it and I get her out and I walk her to the hits, the mock hit site and say, find it. And she finds it. In a real world track, you're on the phone driving to this location. You got your GPS going. You pull up at a convenience store. You meet the hunter. You talk to him. They pull off. You follow them to a, a farm or or where a hunting public land or wherever they're hunting. You get out. You know, there's other people with you, and and then you find a real deer. So she's figured out like, okay, if my GPS is constantly talking, I stop and meet up with people. I'm on the phone talking to people, and then we meet up with people that actually track. There's yeah. always a real, you know, when when she finds those, those are real deer. Whenever she finds them, when it's just me and her, it's just a leg <laughs> that I left there. <laughs> yeah. So long story short, when I take her on training tracks these days, she has really little, little interest in following them. And I'm using deer legs from deer that were shot and had and ran and you know and, and then we're recovered so uh, any deer we recover I, uh if the hunter lets me i keep the the hooves off the those deer and i vacuum seal them together so they don't cross contaminate with other legs in my freezer yeah 
and that way it has all the odors of a injured deer that ran off you, you don't want to use like a deer shot with a rifle and dropped in his tracks and 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 you know never released any of those odors yeah you want to use ideally you want to use the legs hooves from a deer that was bow shot or gunshot and ran 100 yards or whatever and then was recovered those are good training uh hooves that's pretty intriguing i'd have never thought i've actually heard that but the person that come up with the idea of them putting off different smells in their hoofs when they're injured or scared yeah and, and i can't say any of it what i've said is positively true i just yeah. have to go by what i've read and others have said and so um and it seems to be i mean she's able to to tell the difference between other deer that are hurt and not hurt so i gotta assume it's true yeah well i mean i've actually read that also i, I got into looking at it a little bit with a german shepherd and like you said he could follow blood like it i guess that blood's just something that really is not out there in the wild that yeah you know so you said that y'all laid down tracks for what was y'all doing now y'all was the training tracks just uh just to keep her you know no i'm talking about y'all had somebody come out there and score them oh, or okay. something oh yeah well, so we have a ubt event united blood trackers they have a testing uh system where they have three levels of testing ubt one is like a i don't know four or 800 yard track i can't remember the distance and they put a couple 90 degree turns they put a mock wound bed and then they have a deer hide at the end for the dog to find and if the dog can from start to finish, follow that track and recover the deer hide, it passes the UBT-1. UBT-2 is a little more difficult. It's a longer track. It's aged longer, has, you know, more turns in it. Um, UBT-3 is even more difficult. And you can test. It's basically it's a way to test your dog and get the certification and to show the public, say, yes, this dog is trained and can successfully recover big game animals and you know because anybody can post up they have a dog that tracks deer and you don't know whether they're lying or or they just you know picked the dog up out of the pound the day before yeah um so up here in minnesota we have a group called the minnesota tracking dogs we started uh shortly after it was legalized and it's a group of us trackers and we're adding trackers all the time we have like 40 trackers now and we have some uh, veteran trackers and we have some newbies and we have a map that lists all our trackers and their locations, and we decided to add a stipulation that if you wanted to be like one of the main trackers on the map, um, and that's a shame. I don't know all the specifics because I'm one of the admins, but I got another buddy in the, the that's in the group. He handles a lot of the logistics and stuff. Um, but anyway, you you needed to pass the UBT one minimum in order to be on there. Um, otherwise, you're listed as a tracker in training. Yeah. Um, and that was so the public could say, okay, here's a guy that's certified and here's one that's in training. I'll call this one first. And if I can't get them, then maybe I'll get a tracker in training. A dog is better than no dog, you know, whether it's, yeah. Yeah. and, and most of the, most of the trackers don't charge anything. They take tips. And so it's, you know, it's not like you're going to be out $300 for a training dog to come out. You can, you know, you can do, have them come out. And if you still can't find it, go grid search. If you can't get a you know, a veteran tracker that has a lot more better odds of recovery. And, and so people could get on that. Is that how most people get a hold of y'all to, uh, I guess they go to that Facebook group or do y'all post yes. on other Facebook groups where, where have tracking services available or anything like that? 
Yeah, so up, up here in Minnesota, I, I'm just going to speak of Minnesota. We have, just like Facebook and other states, I imagine, we have several hunting pages like Minnesota Archery Talk and Minnesota Deer Hunters Facebook groups. And so we have like three or four primary groups there, right? So we have, and we created our own Facebook group called Minnesota Tracking Dogs. And we had a makeshift map or a little map created with the location of our trackers and our phone numbers. And that's how we would share the trackers locations and numbers to begin with. And we'd share it on those main groups and we would communi communicate with the admins from those groups and they would pin those maps to the top of the page during hunting season or just leave it up there in, in general. So then we, uh, you know, it's been a few years we've been together. So we've since created a website okay. and, and we still have our group, but on the website, we have a much better map that's laid out with regions of the state and all our trackers and their locations and then we added this year a some tracking request form so you can call a tracker directly you can go on that map and look at the trackers near you and call them or text them directly or which is probably the easiest and most efficient way to get a tracker is to enter out uh fill out that little submission form it goes it's a private i mean it goes to just our private group of trackers it doesn't go to the public um, and you basically, you're asking questions like your name, where you're hunting, the hunting location, where we need to track at, some of the equipment you're using, the angle of the deer, the reaction of the deer, how far have you tracked, just relevant stuff that we want to know. And then there's a few optional questions that you can answer, like what's your bones, draw weight, or that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but you can skip all that. Just just answer the the required ones that we absolutely have to know. And once you hit submit, it goes to uh, seven or eight admins, immediately goes out to us, and then we distribute the, that to uh, a private group that we have, um, that we communicate through, and it has all those details, your location, and and the four or five closest trackers get tagged in that, and so they kind of get priority, and plus it gives them a notification, hey, you need to look at this, this. there's a request in. Um, usually within you know, minutes of someone submitting a quest, request, we have a tracker available and they're in contact with that hunter. And the hunter doesn't have to do anything. I mean, I, so far this season, the uh, four or five hunters that I've tracked for, I mean, I've tracked for more than that, but four or five of them have voluntarily just spoke out on it when I you know, was tracking for them, how much they love that process. Because, you know, the normal process is you shoot a deer in the evening, you've been tracking it, um before you know before you know it you lost blood and it's 11 o'clock at night yeah and and you don't want to be calling a stranger which a tracker is to most people a stranger at 11 o'clock at night or texting them yep and uh so the one fellow i did track for he's like man i was so nervous about bothering people in the middle of the night and i saw that submission form so i submitted it and like 30 minutes later somebody was in touch with me he said it was so easy to do and that's kind of why we created that it's taken a lot of the worry and the work out of a hunter, all they got to do is submit that form, and then we're going to do the work on the behind the scenes to get you somebody there to track your deer for you. Okay, so that information, I've got a couple of questions, but the first question I want to ask, is there any type of field trialing for for such as this uh, that you I, know I, of? Not that I'm aware. I mean, I don't do field trials. I I don't know much about them. I know there's uh, other dogs that you know, bird dogs that do field trials and and such. Um, I didn't know if you know. Obviously, a field trial would be laying down track. In my mind, equivalent to laying down tracks and seeing how well 
I, I guess that would be, yeah. I guess that would be the same as our UBT event. Yes. So our event. So we're going to have that's a this was the first year we had it and it's it's planned to be an annual event, and you know there was a bunch of us, you know, twenty five or trackers or more that showed up for this event, and we all you know we had to have like seven hundred acres of of land. Some of it was public we used, and we we had judges come in from all over the country, so it was kind of a big. I guess you could call that a field trial type type of deal, but um, they laid mo uh, mock tracks. You know, some more than twenty five because some dogs took a UBT one and a UBT two tests. Well, wow. and uh, you need a, a certain amount of acreage for each test, like a minimum of ten acres or five acres, uh, so that the scent lines aren't too close together. You don't want the dog straying off and cutting another scent line and running it. Yeah, but I guess that would be similar to a field trial then. I think it's pretty cool though. You know, the more people you get together to learn about or to talk about a given craft, and I, I would yeah. I would say this would be like a craft or a skill. You know, the, the better you're going to enhance it. So. Yeah. Hey guys, we would like to take this time to thank Precision Aluminum Fabrications for their support in sponsoring the Hunting Dog Public Podcast. They specialize in custom aluminum welding from custom dog boxes, aluminum water tanks, and aluminum toolboxes, which are all built to the customer's request. They guarantee the best price on the market while maintaining a top quality product. Precision Aluminum Fabrication is located in Amit, Louisiana, and you can contact them through their Facebook page at Precision Aluminum Fabrication or on their website at www.precisiondogbox.com. So if you are in need of a product or a service, please check them out. Now, my other question is, what do y'all have different people? I guess if you're answering a question, I'm shooting a bow and arrow and it's... 70 pounds and it's a deer quartering away at 25 yards uh you know the off of based off of that information are you going to do something different than if i said it was a broadside shot at 20 yards no um the yardage and the distance i mean the yardage and like the angle um and then we on the form it tells you you ask it asks you how high you were up we're just trying to mentally figure out the angle of the where the arrow hit the deer you i mean you still have to answer questions like where did you hit the deer on the body because we have a picture of a deer in that form um and a picture of a bear so basically i'll back up a little bit and, and briefly touch on it when you start filling out the form one of the first questions to ask you what did you shoot and you either have antlerless deer antlered antlered deer or bear and as soon as you make your selection the picture in the form changes to match that so it's either going to show a bear or a deer picture well okay um, and and then it has a grid laid over that deer or bear it only has one picture like broadside so the hunter is it's up to them to you know mentally visualize the deer was quartered away and so it hit in g10 i'm making up a grid number here um and so they'll say you know, on the on the form, that's where I hit it. And so uh, as a tracker, I have to look at the information they gave me and figure out, okay, what organs did they probably hit? You know, did they hit liver or gut? Plus on the form, it asks, you know, what did the arrow look and smell like if you recovered it? You know, yeah. and it has multiple choice. Most of the answers are multiple choice. We don't want we don't want the answers to be too 
too too many variables so yeah. we give them well, but you also have the option of others so you can add some extra as a hunter but you know we see that there's gut matter on the arrow you hit it core and weigh it this so we're assuming it got into guts which is going to kill the deer but maybe it's going to kill it sooner because it maybe it exited out of the lungs and so the trackers whoever's taking the track kind of figures out on their own what the wait times should be and say okay you shot it this evening it's likely a gut shot may have gotten one lung let's give it till tomorrow morning you know that sort of thing so the form's going to help us with all that as well okay all right well that's actually i guess in my mind i was trying to figure out what y'all was doing but now i see you want to see about how long you need to wait before you, yeah you, you think the deer is going to be deceased and be yeah. optimal and a, for y'all to go in and try to track it without jumping it up and it being yeah. a long run yeah and and sometimes we'll take tracks like if i'm out tracking especially it gets busy during the rut um i may not even know the information I, someone else may be dealing with it i'm driving hey shane there's a there's a track coming in for this town, which is about 15 miles from where you're currently tracking. I said, and, and I'll say, sure, send it over or, and I'll call them, give me their number and I'll call them. Um, you know, we still have the form I can look at, but I'm going to probably take the track either way. Just, just because, you know, the hunter may just want some closure. I, I think it was a lethal hit. I don't know. The dog was going to answer that for you in most cases. Yeah. Um, the other thing, you know, this form, it goes through and ask a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that ask is, are there any property lines nearby? And um, if there is, then we need to start getting permission before we arrive. You know, we don't want to be tracking and go 300 yards into a track and the dog takes to a property line. Now we're stuck there for an hour waiting to get permission. Well, there's other people waiting on track, so I have to leave and go to those, and, and I may not be able to get back to you, you know? Yeah, so, that's, um, that's a tough situation. Well, I think that's extremely good knowledge because – I'm in Mississippi and I don't, I have not researched it, but I'm pretty sure that there's not a form in the group here. And that might yeah. be something they need to implement. You know, who, where did you hit the deer? It, do you have permission on the neighboring property that went towards all that yeah. kind of information? Yeah. And, um, I mean, they could use, they can get it off our website and, and copy it uh, and use it for themselves. Um, it's also a cheat sheet for some of the new trackers because that's one of the number one questions we get to the veteran trackers from the new ones is what questions do you ask the hunter? Well, this is a little cheat sheet for them. They can go there and, and, and they can make a copy of this form. And so if they take a call direct, somebody called them from the tracking map and didn't enter this form, you know, it says, um, okay, were you elevated? What did you shoot? What was the distance? Uh, what kind of broadhead? And you know that matters to some degree because a bigger cutting uh, diameter broadhead, we know that it does more damage. Um, you know, some of this, some of these questions are relevant to some trackers, and some of it's not relevant to some trackers. You know, well, um, after doing this so many times, have you seen a difference in expandables and fixed? Oh yeah, it's. Um, I've had several podcasts I've been on chatting about it. Um, what we see, I just I'm not I don't have the chat charts in front of me, but what we see basically, if you get a pass through, no matter what you're shooting, the odds of recovery go way up. But if you're shooting a mechanical and you get a pass through, it's higher than a fix because you're doing more damage. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have a lot more pass throughs with fixed blades than mechanicals though. 
So, you know, um, you got to kind of weigh your options there. I want to pass through, but, you know, fix it or mechanical is going to give me more damage. On the other side of it, we don't have as many non-pass throughs with a fix. We have a lot more non-pass throughs with a mechanical. But if you don't get a pass through with either blade, again, you're better off with a mechanical because it does more damage. Um, but, the, but like I said, we don't have as many recoveries. The recovery rate is not as high for non-pass through. So even though you the it fares better for the mechanicals, it's not a good thing not to have a pass through in most yeah. cases. Now, also, which I know this doesn't really pertain towards tracking. I guess it could, but the statistics say an arrow that's heavier in grain weight going slower versus an arrow faster that's lighter normally has better penetration or is more likely to pass through. Is that not correct? So um, this is all based on my data because the data we're collecting as a group this year uh, hasn't been laid out in uh, forms and percentages and whatever. We have a lot of data we've already collected so far this year, but um, I'm going off of my five years of data that we have put together. The, um, what was the question again? <laughs> I got to talk too much. Uh, uh, a heavier grained arrow going okay, yeah, slower yeah. versus a light you. grain arrow going faster. Yeah, I'll try not to get sidetracked and forget the question anymore. Uh, um, yeah, the heavier arrow, we had uh, the ones that we got the information, because I used to carry a scale with me, and I'd weigh every arrow that I went on a track with, and I'd get the exact grains of that arrow. The heavier arrows, um, I think, that had a 10 percent higher odds of a pass-through um and and when i say heavier we didn't have like a hard line it was just like um there were some arrows that were 400 grains some arrows that were 480 some of them 520 yeah but the heavier you got there was no denying it the heavier arrow you got the higher odds my stats showed over pass-through yeah so you were they were they were penetrating better now, with that said, and we'd have to do a deep dive into all this data, and you could get really deep into stuff. Um, the guys running um, heavier arrows tended to shoot fixed blades. They tended to tune their bow. I'm just speculating on some of this stuff now, so don't take it to heart. Yes. Um, it just seemed like those guys were more, um, you know, serious about tuning their bow, getting a flight, a straight flight out of the arrow, um, shooting a really sharp. Know, double blade broadhead they were building a mac truck for an arrow and it was flying perfect whereas some of these guys that were shooting mechanicals they didn't even know the weight you know until i weighed it you know yeah. um their their arrow may have been flying you know fish tailing through the air and they didn't know it and, and they couldn't figure out why they couldn't their broadheads wouldn't hit the same spot of their field point but they threw a mechanical on there and then it then it hit the same point and so they basically put a band-aid over it that's <laughs> yeah. all that's all i can figure out is why you know so it may not been the weight solely it may be the guys that shoot heavier arrows just did a better job of getting a fly a straight flying arrow well and, and that evolves into practicing and yeah and you some people don't think about the deer ducking and such as that but uh you know it it is what it is it i just I've noticed that that seems to be the trend is heavier and like you said, a fixed blade. Yeah. So it's pretty neat to me. Uh, the statistics, uh, the more technology we get, the 
you know, obviously the, the more information we get. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those guys too. I shoot a heavier arrow and, and, and it, it's not like I wasn't getting pass throughs before, uh, before, you know, I was shooting, I'm shooting 73 pounds. I'm shooting a 405 grain arrow and a three blade muzzy at one point. And then I was using a, a Q80 Exodus. And then I, I can't remember what the next one I was trying different ones and I didn't have problems with them. I'm just tinkering. Um, but then I've moved my weight up. Now I'm shooting 570 grains. I'm shooting a, a big two blade, 200 grain, two blade broadhead. Um, I'm still, you know, I'm getting pass throughs. My bow is quieter. Actually, to me, it sounds quieter. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in that happy meeting. I got something that I was, it was already working. It wasn't broke, but I just wanted to make sure it, it wasn't fragile and gonna break. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of bumped it up a little bit. I got you. So, so in Minnesota, how long is y'all's deer season? So it comes in mid September, about the 15th, usually, uh, somewhere around that time. Um, the Saturday closer to the 15th, I guess. And it runs the January 1st, I believe. Um, and it's mostly primary bow, bow season. Gun season up here is very short, like two weeks in November. And then, then there's a muzzleloader season, but for the most part, the bow hunters have the, the run of the woods for most of the season. And I assume y'all's ruts during bow season, if it's the majority. Yeah, it's, you know, it gets kicking about mid-November. Um, you know, well, a lot of deer get shot from like Halloween and for that first two weeks of November, but it gets rolling really good, um, you know, through mid-November. Same with Wisconsin. And Wisconsin has their season very similar setup to minnesota but their gun season is about two weeks later and so you see uh that, that's one of the we could talk about that later but that's one of the big topics up here is a lot of the guys the bow hunters wish that minnesota would push their gun season out of the rut because of all of these bucks getting killed during the chase um but that's i could care less one way of another, <laughs> or another. well yeah i i'm if I'm going out there and he walks in front of me, I don't care if he's chasing or not. Yeah. He's going to get swacked. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. So what about tracking gear? Do you run a tracker on your dogs? No, I, she's leashed all the time. She's on a lead all the time, but I guess I should probably get a GPS in case she gets loose. Well, I saw uh, you doing maps on some of your YouTube videos. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, I have a, yeah i use a tracking app on my phone that i, uh -oh. I started so it records my route while i'm walking with her i'm with and you. yeah so like down south in some of the states uh, where you can run off lead they have a gps calling dog and it'll track their route um it's basically tracking me and she's 20 feet from me the whole time uh, well okay well i was gonna get to that so i thought you might have been using a dog truck it looks similar to what you're using, except for it actually has an emblem on there of you and your dog going. But yeah, I didn't another brand. Yeah. Yes, sir. I didn't realize that. So y'all have to keep them on lead. I was going to ask that in a minute. Yeah. So most of your northern states, and uh, well, I don't know, a lot of states require deer tracking dogs to be on lead because there's only like I guess in Mississippi maybe they can track off lead. Texas, South Carolina georgia florida i don't know i know for sure south carolina and texas um where you can hunt deer with dogs in south carolina we can in mississippi can also okay so they can run off lead to track also and then a lot of times what little i know is they get to a hit site with the dog and then, and then the gps on the dog 
you know, keep, the hunters of the tracker is able to keep track of the dog. And when he stops moving, you know, he's probably at the deer or he's got him bait up. Yes, sir. Well, I guess for, for a lot of people that don't realize our bay dogs here, when they turn them loose, they will bay this howl when they get yeah. to it. Or obviously if they don't howl and they're sitting there chewing on it and it's not moving, you might want to go to that location. Yeah, you might want to get there quick. <laughs> but especially if it was my dog, because she would eat a deer in a hurry. Uh, She'll eat half the hind quarter before I can get there. But if I had her off lead, it is it is amazing these the drive that these animals have to get to these deer. Mm-hmm. But so you're always on lead, and I was gonna I, man, I I just could not for the life of me figure out how you keep that rope from getting tangled up in, in every bush in the woods. Oh, it's a, it's a chore, believe me, because. I used to use a little retractable lead, and that's because it had a handle on it. I could hold her. She used to pull so hard, and I'm trying to use my phone with my left hand. Um, then I, I'm i glad I got rid of that, and I got a 30-foot lead, and, um, which is our maximum we could use here. And it's it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's called a tangle-free lead, and it pretty much stays untangled from grabbing logs and stuff. But if she, if she gets in a hurry, she does a little quick stitch route around some brush, and then she ties a knot in. But for the most part, she goes in one one general direction. And if she makes a loop around, all I got to do is as she passes by me is grab the lead as it's dragging by me and let go of the end and let it snake back through the brush. So I don't have to follow her step for step. But sometimes I do when we get in the really thick stuff. And it's, it, yeah, it's crazy sometimes. Yeah. Now, have you put any sort of information together as to wounded animals like what I've seen, which we have a lot of sloughs and wet lands, creeks, it seems like our wounded animals generally try to get to a water source. I don't know if y'all have any sort of, or, you know, mm-hmm. if they avoid certain t- topographies like climbing big hills if they're wounded or anything like that. No, I don't. We're not collecting that particular um, data point with our tracking group, but I was tracking it, that data um for myself personally over the last five years and so and basically what i would say once i found a deer um you know not only did the hunter the coordinates they gave us of where they hit it i would record where the coordinates of where they actually hit and compare to see how accurate the hunter was (laughs) um i also marked down was the deer found in or near water and when it when i put near water it has to be within 50 yards so a deer that's 50 yards from water, I still mark down as near water, even though 50 yards is quite a ways. Um, yes, sir. And so out of all the deer that I've tracked, I'm, I'm pulling up the chart here. I got it on my laptop here. Uh, let's see. First, I'm going to tell you the percentage of um, water in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Minnesota and Wisconsin, on average, uh, between the two states, 30% of the surface area of Minnesota and Wisconsin is covered by water marshes lakes streams you know creeks uh cattail marsh like i already said that uh, but basically 30 percent of the surface area of these states is so it's a water-rich environment up here yes, a lot sir. of bottoms and swamps mm-hmm. we only find about three percent i of the ones i've tracked and kept track of three a little over three percent of the deer were found in or near water you would think if it was something that deer were seeking out when they were shot that would would be closer to 30%. You know, the yeah. odds of if you just dropped a deer from from an airplane in the state of Minnesota, Wisconsin, 
it had a 30 percent chance of hitting water <laughs> oh yeah um so <laughs> From my data and, and plus all the routes, you know, it's tracked on my tracking app. It shows me the, the path the deer took. They they go uphill, downhill. One thing that's common, if they run away from you in a, say a certain direction, say north, you usually find them dead north of you. You know, they don't, you know, sometimes they'll hook around, especially the ones that can live longer and they bed down and they get jumped by coyotes or you jump them while you're tracking. Yeah. But if you shot a deer and it ran from you. And I came in there and you told me to say, hey, find this deer for me without a dog. And I said, which way was it going? That way. Well, I would go that way and I would search in a cone shape out from that direction. And I would most likely find your deer in that direction. They basically just, they're fleeing whatever shot them. And the, the best way to flee something to put as much distance between you and that threat is to run straight away and not do curves. Yeah. And that, I guess that's what they're doing. Uh, well, I guess... When I'm normally, we don't, I don't call many people to track, you know, generally we call groups of folks and it's hands and knees and that, but I, it kind of seems to be the less, uh, resistance if they get to running down a trail and there's a big patch of woods on the right or the real thick area, they're, yeah. they're kind of skirt as like they can get away as fast as possible. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Hey guys, Bob Osborne with Timber Creek Dog Supply is a one-stop shop for dog supplies and hunting gear. He carries everything from coon lights and squalors to hip boots and tracking gear. So if you are in need for some new outerwear, a new thermal, or just a leading collar, check out Timber Creek at TimberCreekSupply.com or by phone at 662-230-7400. And if you are ever in the Oxford, Mississippi area, go check out Bob's store. I know you have a new dog. Do you care to talk about it any? Yeah, so that's my um, that's my daughter's dog, and she guilted me into that because <laughs> um, Callie was supposed to be her dog, right? Um, yeah. She wanted a puppy when she was younger. She wanted, and Callie was going to be hers. But because I'd spent so much time with Callie training her, my blue tick, that dog bonded with me. Uh -huh. And so it didn't really want anything to do with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's like, I want another dog, one that's mine, not yours to train for tracking. And you don't, don't train it for tracking. I said, okay. Well, my two nephews, they each have a Voican Spaniels, a female and male, and, and they bred and, and produced a, a big litter of pups. Well, I talked my nephew into giving me a deal on one since I took him turkey hunting all these years growing up. <laughs> and uh, I got got him a Boykin Spaniel for my daughter for her birthday uh, last year. Um, she wanted to, uh, believe it or not, wanted to train it to track deer. <laughs> and so, uh, but she hasn't put in much work. She's helped a little bit, you know, got on some of these training tracks and stuff. Yeah. But yet again, the dog is bonded with me. <laughs> uh, but, but. It's uh, but I told her we're not getting a third dog. Uh, anyway, I'm off topic a little bit. Um, yeah, we, he's been trained. Uh, he's not. I didn't put as much effort into him because it's I, my time. My schedule is so tight these days between tracking and and hunting and my real job that um, I didn't get to devote as much time to him. But he is pretty good so far. He uh, he's got four recoveries. 
uh, two, two deer that I shot or a friend shot, uh, and we knew the deer was dead, and he found it pretty easily. And then he's been on two real-world recovery tracks, and he's recovered both of those. Um, I, I watched one yesterday, I think. Yeah, that was a that was a fairly easy one. That was a, a buddy of mine that lives about an hour away from me, um, and he actually called needing a tracking dog because he was having trouble finding blood. And and just to be, he felt that it was a, a lethal hit that he might be able to find it grid searching, but he didn't want to go that route yet. He wanted me to bring a dog, and so I asked him, could I put the the new pup on first, and then if things got tough, I'd get Callie out. And he's like, sure, and and the new pup found it. And it only went like 75, 80 yards from where he last had blood. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice. Now, does it, is it showing more potential than Kelly or or not really? You don't know yet? I don't know yet. And I think it's going to be a tough dog to track with because it's a um, the breed was developed for bird, um, for waterfowl and, and turkey hunting in South Carolina in the early 1900s. And uh, it's a, so it's a bird dog, really, a, a spaniel. He's small and he's he's real energetic, and so yeah. like with my hound, that likes to track in a straight line, sniffing and following the trail. He'll follow the trail, and then he all of a sudden just over here. He's so much energy. He's like I'm like calm down, little doggy. <laughs> and so he'll tie a knot in that lead, and then a heartbeat weaving through all the brush. Oh, it looked like uh, he was giving you a hard time trying to drag yeah, through them bushes. Uh, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping as he gets a little age on him, he'll calm down and, and listen a little more. So right now, Callie is the the main tracker. She's been on nine tracks this year, and Jasper's only been on the two. Yeah. So um, and you know, I'm I'm uh, Jasper's the boy Spaniel is going to be just basically a backup and to use it on the more what I would think is an easier tracker. If somebody calls me and say, Hey Shane, I shot a deer and I know it's dead. Come let your dog get some experience uh, until Callie gets too old to track and then I'll have to rely on him. Now, do you keep up with how many a year you average on going on? Yeah, I have a spreadsheet that keeps you know track of every track I've gone on and it's... I've gone on, uh, um, let's see, let me pull this up real quick. So I've done 161 tracks uh, over the, uh, well, part of those is already this year. I've done 11 tracks already this year. So yeah. I've done 150 tracks over the course of five seasons, about 30 tracks a year, which is not a whole lot in the big scheme of things. Yeah. What, I mean, do you have a percentage that you are successful on? Yeah. So we've recovered, uh, where's that spreadsheet I had? Just one moment. I think it's like uh, 40, 40 something percent success rate, 65 deer out of 150 tracks. So whatever that equates to. Yeah, that's pretty good, especially when they're probably contaminated. You know, do you have a problem with people contaminated in tracks? Sorry, somebody walked by the house and coon dog got upset. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, everybody here is going to have a dog, so. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, like tracking on lead, there's I think the national average is like 35%. So she's tracking above that. Um, which is good just shows she's a, and the, and the way you get an average, you have some dogs that perform better than others. And I hope she stays above average. That means we're finding a lot more deer than, and we're not leaving deer in the woods. Hopefully, um, if you're tracking off lead, like down South, um, 
it's a little a little higher odds of success because a lot you know those deer we jump alive sometimes we have to back out if we're on lead we can't keep up with those deer we just oh, back yeah. out and so a dog off lead can bay it up and then you can come in and dispatch it so that's kind of the reason it's not that the dogs are any better it's just they have the freedom to run and catch up to the deer where they're tied down to their handler up here yeah yeah i get that aspect of it i mean that and they can probably i guess if they get on a track if they're not dragging you through the bushes it's probably easier once they get the momentum going to to stay on track yeah and i wonder about that too i mean like these dogs are on lead we're we're slowing them down yeah and um i've seen my dog on lead when she gets too rambunctious and excited she'll miss turns so i gotta imagine that can occur with a guy a dog off lead you know they get to run and they just miss a turn where a deer and the deer loses the loses the dogs but do, do um, you have a harness or do you run a, a regular collar i just have a collar around her she does she does not like a harness uh it makes her hotter also and yeah. she just doesn't like it so well she's okay, she's okay with the collar like i said when i was obviously looking into it for just a few minutes back years ago it the readings I was getting from like the police reports were if they had a problem with if, if it's on a collar, it was pulling its head up off the ground, which I guess you're yeah. giving a lot more slack than they're probably given. But yeah, when she, when she tightens up on the lead and she's pulling, her nose is still on the ground. Yeah, I mean, it's, I can hear her like breathing hard because it's kind of going into her neck. But at the same time, I want her to slow down a little bit. But that, and she's gotten older now. She's in her sixth season. She doesn't pull nearly as hard as she used to. She knows to just take it easy. And I, and I, for the most part, my lead is there's tension in it, but it's not like super tight. Um, And then a lot of times um, it lays on. I try to keep it off the ground sometimes, but it's hard doing it with one hand. If I wasn't using my phone a lot of times to, keep track of where we're going or drop pins where I see what it looks like a wound bed or blood. Um, I would try to keep that lead off the ground, mainly just so it doesn't pick up scent dragging across the ground. We don't want it contaminating things. Yes, sir. Now, now I asked this earlier and I didn't know if you heard me, but do you have a problem with hunters contaminating the track, like searching for it before they back out or anything yeah, like that? That's a big issue. And that's just a learning curve for the hunters in general because a lot of them don't realize that or don't don't consider don't even think about it i mean i same thing with me growing up you know never thought of about what i'm doing to a blood trail as i track a deer you, you you know once you find a drop of blood four feet ahead you don't really care about the blood behind you you're making headway yeah mm-hmm. um but for a tracking dog to come in there after you've walked that trail 200 yards and you've picked up blood and sent molecules from that injured deer all over your boots and then you and your buddies and then you start grid searching and it makes things tough for the dog because now you're laying down scent trails that smell just like the same deer but going three four or five different directions and the dog has to figure that out and dropping hats at the last blood and yeah that's camouflage (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i mean it's i i get it it's uh you know but when you're in the heat of the moment you know, everybody in their, I've not seen many people that say, I can't find this deer from the very beginning. Everybody and their brother's like, oh, we'll find this one. It'll be just over the hill. Oh yeah. I've been in the same, <laughs> I have a tracking dog and 
And even though I have a tracking dog, I still make stupid mistakes when I'm out there. I'm tracking this deer. North Dakota is a prime example. I shot one and I had video of it. And we kind of looked at it and thought it was a pretty good shot. And we got tracking it that evening and we think we can see liver blood and and then we could see some brighter blood. We're thinking one long exit through the liver. And as as much experience I've had tracking, I should have been backing out and coming back later. There was another puddle of blood up ahead. And I'm like, oh, this deer's just got to be right here. And, and then I finally said, Shane, come to your senses. Just back out. Give it six more hours. So we slept. That's basically what we did. We we slept in our the truck on the side of the road didn't even go back to camp we slept there for uh a little while and then we went back to camp and then came back early that morning and you just got it's hard to leave a blood trail but you got to do the right thing and give the deer time it really is have you do y'all use any sort of thermals what do you mean uh like a thermal like energy a like a drone? Oh, okay. Or just uh, well, like I have a handheld thermal, and I've actually picked up uh, deer. You know, you don't think about it, but it might be laying sixty yards in a thicket, and if you get low, low under the under the brush or whatever, you can see little glimpses of heat through there. No, I I can't say I've ever used. I've seen the drones that use it, but uh, I would be really interested in, in uh, whatever you're using a handheld device. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, using a, I'm using a small handheld that'll go in a pocket. I mean, it's, it's incredible nice. what they'll do. Like, I've got a field behind my house, and I can get my thermal out, and I can see a deer at 500 yards. Now, that is the heat, and it looks like a blob at 500 yards. I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say that you can outline it, but you can no, tell. I wouldn't care if it was a red X it showed on the screen. Yeah. As long as it gave me an indication of where something was at. Yeah, and, and like, so... I, I use it squirrel hunting also. So when it's real cold outside, like the pot, the pad of the dog where it's prancing around the bottom of the tree, yeah, there'll be warm spots at the bottom of the tree. So in my mind, I, I have limited tracking with mine. I have walked through the woods and come up and it was just scanning while I was yeah. blood trailing. What I do is I'd find a piece of blood and I'd scan in the area before I went any farther to see if I could see it laying there. And I have had a couple of instances where I saw the deer laying in the woods. Still alive where you can no, back No, it was dead. I mean, you got to think if it's up there, it'd be even better because it's probably going to take a deer a little while to get to the temperature of, you know, it is if it's 90 something degrees at internal temperature on that deer and it's, yeah. 20 degrees or 10 degrees or whatever it's going to take a while to warm up it's now, I've, i saw one of the guys that that post about these flying drones he has an operation in wisconsin that does it um where you can hire him to come locate your deer and i think it's pretty expensive though but um the, so is the drone but someone asked that question about the deer how long and he's they were he said they were able to find deer you know a couple of days later it still put off a different heat signature than the ground around it yes um, sir. they were able to see it yes sir i mean you can see a, a squirrel in the tree if it's 70 degrees i mean the squirrel's what 90 degrees i mean you can see it actually sitting up there so yeah i'd have to look in the legalities of that in minnesota because the way the laws were written up here that's the same thing the reason dog tracking was illegal because the way the laws were written and early on it wasn't to exclude tracking deer with the dogs it was it wasn't even a thought back then when they wrote it it was to keep you hunting from hunting deer 
with a dog. And so they, we had to have the law revised to so that it was worded correctly. It was always a gray area. It didn't specifically say you couldn't track deer with dogs, but um, I know that night vision and or thermal stuff is illegal to hunt with up here. Oh, you can't even coat hunt or, or anything like that? Um, I know you can in Wisconsin. I'm not sure what you can use in Minnesota okay. Uh, at night for coyotes okay. so, so i'm not the one to speak on that yeah but i know that um i think i'm pretty sure you you can't use have like night vision um equipment with you with a firearm or a bow in your possession i get or it. something along those lines so i don't know what the how the law is written so it could be another one of those gray areas that you may not even have a, maybe if you got a dog and you're tracking a deer see they don't consider a deer they consider you still hunting a deer until you put your tag on it so if you're tracking it, you're hunting it, you're pursuing it. Um, and so that's where it could possibly fall in. I'd have to research it. I got you. Well, <laughs> before I go out and this, spend a thousand dollars on a, <laughs> yeah. something like that. This is a monocular, so it's not mounted to anything. So, you know, what yeah, I mean? yeah. but anyways, we, we can speak on that afterwards. Um, yeah, yeah. Is, is there any track that really stands out to you that, uh, you know, that really stood out that, you don't think you'll ever forget? Uh, there's several of them. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of them. I mean, uh, what was I your favorite that, one? Let's ask that one. I, I guess the most memorable one when somebody asks that sort of question, the one that pops in my head first is the one that I tracked that was we tracked over the course of two days. Um, we spent 22 and a half hours total tracking the deer. But it, um, and we found him a, a mile and 1.3 miles away, one and a third miles away. He was a double lung liver hit deer. He went that far. Um, we tracked him the evening prior, backed out, picked up the trail the next day. I mean, this, the videos on my YouTube channel, the story of that. But I mean, this deer went um, around trail cameras. We could never get him on trail camera while we were tracking. We passed seven or eight and, and checked them, and the deer was always avoiding them somehow even though you know he ran or the dog tracked him by those cameras um you know that yeah you had to go to this it's a long story but um that was one of the most memorable ones and then i finally we finally found the deer we, i mean we were going the only thing we had to go on was for confirmation and we were still on this deer after a mile was one little speck of blood on a blade of grass i mean when i say a speck i mean the size of a, a tick wood tick yeah um right beside a county road and that was the last blood we ever saw and then my dog took me a third of a mile down the edge of the road cut into a marsh and 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 that's where we found it and you're talking about a surprise tracker and a even more surprised hunter that we recovered that deer <laughs> <laughs> was that the uh was it a good deer oh it was a, it was a really good deer <laughs> okay i was about to say <laughs> You get over there, it was a giant. It ended up being a five, a four point or something. Oh, but I, I treat them all the same. I just, yeah, I get it. But I, I treat a bow the same as I would a big buck. So, what's I guess what's the longest that a deer has been shot in the track? Uh, what's the oldest track? I guess you've put your dog on. Do you know? Uh, for me personally, it's thirty thirty three hours old or something wow. like that. Um, I, well, I've got. Uh, tracking friends that have recovered deer, you know, 72 hours after they shot. Uh, those are far and few between, put it that way. Um, but that's uh, Callie's oldest track is 33 hours. And that's just, I mean, we don't purposely go on those old tracks because um, 
when we get in the heat of the season, the middle of the season, it's so busy, we're getting lots of tracking calls. Um, we have to turn down those older tracks that, you know, two days old because we, we're getting new tracks in. We want to find the, the deer that still has a possibility of being salvaged and ones that the hunter didn't mess up and, you know, grid search and do all this stuff. Um, I mean, we had to, and plus like that 33 hour old track was two over two hours away from me. So I wasn't even going to take it. It just happened. Um, that video is on my channel too. If you want to put a link or if you want to, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I, I think the name of the video is 33 hour old track or something like that. <laughs> um, I can say it, or you can say what your YouTube channel name is and your Facebook page and all that. Yeah. Shane Simpson hunting on YouTube. So just go look for that. And, um, and basically it has, I video almost every track. Now I don't necessarily publish every track um, just because some of them are, are not that exciting. You know, we get there and yeah. we find the deer, you know, in three minutes and he's only a hundred yards away, but some of them are more interesting and I'll put those up. Uh, you also kill a lot of turkeys, um, a lot of deer. You, your, your channel is extremely active for, for anybody that's interested in a hunting channel. And, you know, likes a variety of content. Mr. Shane has a wonderful channel with, with great footage that I really enjoy. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I, I wish I had more time to edit, but it's getting tough these days. But like you said, I turkey hunt, deer hunt, and track deer. And those, that's the three things that I put on there. Um, I always said I wasn't going to make mine a variety show, you know. But I think yeah. deer and turkey is pretty much standard. I don't want to have a bunch of fishing videos mixed in and then and this type of stuff because uh, some people like this content and some don't like that and and i i don't fish <laughs> well i mean, I, mean I, I get it it uh when you when you find what your audience likes you try to stick to well, that well i found what i like and i'm just putting it on there and <laughs> yeah i like i like turkey and deer hunting yeah, i get <laughs> and, it and, and, and you're good at it you're good at it i had to give you that you're, you're exceptionally uh, you, you kill a lot of animals. Let's put it like that. I wouldn't say it's a lot, but I, I, I keep my freezer pretty, uh, pretty stocked. <laughs> well, let me put it like this. It don't seem like you get lucky most of the time. It seems like you have a strategy and you go in and you do the strategy and it works. So we'll go with that. Okay. I'll, I'll take that. I, I appreciate the compliment. Yes, sir. You know, on your Facebook, you have a Facebook page, don't you? Yeah, Shane Simpson Honey also. I, I I used to have, you know, different names for different things, so I, just, uh, I couldn't think of anything fancy to name it. So I just said Shane Simpson Honey, and that's what I named my YouTube, my my Facebook uh, page. I have a personal page of Shane Simpson, but I also have a, a page that, because they limit how many people you can have friends with yeah. on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Instagram, you know, all the traditional stuff. YouTube is where I put all my videos and then I put some like little short clips and stuff on Instagram and photos and stuff like that. And almost, you know, I got you. Normal, normal stuff. Is there anything that you can really think of that we hadn't covered on the dogs? I've tried to cover all of it. I don't, is there statistics or anything that you find, I guess, pretty neat that you've kept up with over the years that we hadn't talked about? I'll tell you what your listeners should do if they, and I'm not to plug my website, but if they go to shanesimpsonhunting.com, mm -hmm. there's a menu at the top of the page called deer tracking data. Okay. And it has, it has all my, some of the more important 
tracking statistics uh, from the last five seasons. Uh, recovery rates, track quality, pass-throughs, you know, the odds of success on different hit locations, fixed blades versus mechanical, you know, arrows, draw weights, you name it. They can look at all that stuff that I've collected over the last five years. And then they can also submit their own tracking data um, that I'm collecting also from the general public. If you if you shot a deer and you recovered it and you want to enter in your data and your equipment that you use and just build up that database, we're taking that as well. That's pretty cool. And also you put on there the cameras and all that that you yeah, use. Yeah, so any, any, I get that question all the time, uh, you know, hey, what turkey ammo are you using or what kind of saddle you're using for hunting or, or broadheads, you know? Um, and the easiest way for me to answer that, I, I used to, you know, I'll ask for anybody to ask, but sometimes I had to look it up and find a link for it to make it easy for them. So then I decided just put a gear list on my website. Anybody that asks what I use, I'll just give them a link to my website, that gear list and say everything I use is right here. And I update it, um, you know, whenever I change equipment. I've actually been on there and it's, uh, it's well laid out in my opinion. It, it, pretty straightforward if you want to know what he uses he has it on there there's really no sense in uh wondering yeah and a so, link to amazon we can get it for yourself yeah um if, if the link's broken let me know because i can update it i'll search it out and you know like if it's a cat a little action camera i use and you say hey they don't have that anymore and then i'll find a link so that you you can i'll try to help you out find it if you're interested but otherwise if you just want to know what i use there it is yeah, I got you. Well, and I'm sure there's going to be other people that's not wanting to bother you, but that are curious about it, that hear this, and there they go. They can go and look at it, and it's there. So, yeah, and, and if anyone has a question out there that wants to message me personally, I, I I try to answer every question I get. Obviously, there's times of the year I get busy, like in the middle of deer season, tracking season, and in the middle of turkey season. So if you got a turkey question, try to ask that before turkey hunting starts. Because once I get turkey hunting, I'm hunting day, to, you know, dawn to dusk, and and try to catch up on sleep and editing at night. So you might not get those answered right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. Well, I have a, a a small channel myself, and it's hard to find time to do that and podcast and hunt and and have a family. So. You yeah, know. preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. A lot of these people out here that want to leave the dirty comments don't realize how much work it is to do the stuff that they're not real appreciative of. Yeah, and you get you got to enjoy. It. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy the torture, I guess. Yeah, um, I enjoy it too. And and for the people that leave great comments, I really, really appreciate y'all. But it's like I get I can have ten great comments and I get hung up on that one bad one. And I'm yeah, like, you got to you got to ignore those. I know it's hard to sometimes, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, man, it took me four hours to edit that video, and you want to get on here and say something about it? Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, I've learned a long you. time ago just just let those guys talk and don't even interact. I get it. Well, I appreciate all of them, and I appreciate you for spending the time with me, Mr. Shane. If there's nothing else for us to do or to talk about that you can think of, I'm gonna get us off of the podcast. No, I, I'm, I think I've talked about whatever I need to. It's hard to remember everything. But yeah, I got it. We've been on here by an hour. So yeah, uh, we can, we can always do it again. if We want to touch up on some things we missed. Yes, sir. And I appreciate you spending the time to come on with us. I enjoyed it. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, guys, that was Shane Simpson. I appreciate him cutting us a piece of his day out or technically night.
he is very busy. He has a YouTube channel, a job, and he is out here tracking deer for people. And that's pro bono. You know, they, they take tips, I think, for gas money and such. But we really appreciate him, his statistics that he gave us. If y'all are interested in them statistics, go to his internet page, shanesimpsonhunting.com. He has his gear list on there. He has some videos. He has all kinds of stuff on there. Go check that out. Also, his Facebook page, Shane Simpson Hunting. And lastly, he has a, a very good YouTube channel, Shane Simpson Hunting. He hunts turkey, deer. They do some of these blood tracking. Y'all go check those out. We appreciate them, him, for coming on. Also, if y'all talk to our sponsors this week, Tell them you heard about them on our podcast. Mr. Bob Osborne, TimberCreeksupply.com on the internet or on Facebook at Timber Creek Dog Supply. Also, we got Precision Aluminum Fabrications. They're on Facebook and they have an internet website. And lastly, Mr. Jeff Island. We thank them for sponsoring our podcast. We appreciate y'all as listeners. If you got time, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, whoever you listen through, it don't take just a second. Leave us a review. It, it could say awesome podcast. It'd be that simple. Leave us some five stars. That's the only way that the podcast providers push our content to new listeners is with y'all doing that. We appreciate y'all. Leave us a like on Facebook. Check me out on Outdoors in Moreland on YouTube. And as always, enjoy the great outdoors. <laughs>